When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back for Teach Tapes and recapping week two of the college season and looking at some specifics as it relates to technique, some of the fundamentals, even some scheme, primarily with the special teams. But We talk about some of those other things as well. And joining me is the creator of Teach Tapes, the former college FBS special teams assistant, Steve Hauser. Steve, great to have you back for another week of Teach Tapes series on coaching coordinator. Thank you. Good to go. I mean, we kind of joked of what week is it? You're watching so much football and trying to keep it all straight, but it's a good problem to have. (laughs) Absolutely. That means you're watching a lot of ball, and and that's a good thing. So we're going to start with something we talked about a couple weeks ago is having that next guy ready. And right before we got going, I sent you a tweet where Kansas City's defensive back was kicking an extra point and then kicked the kickoff through the uprights and so it's come up again and again after we said that one the necessity of having somebody else ready besides your normal guys to handle those responsibilities if it becomes necessary and so we saw it in week one of the NFL two games one with a very critical situation there with the Bengals yeah and you know, I was looking at an article before we got going Darren Simmons who does the special teams does an incredible job at Cincinnati for a long time said it's only the second time in 20 plus years that he's seen that happen right for his team so just having that guy ready they've already pulled up another guy in the practice squad but he said they gave him enough of a chance to win and you got to make sure you you prop up other people when someone's trying to go above and beyond in a big moment like you got to do your job on the other side of it to make it a little bit easier so interesting you see the guys like Mahomes on the sidelines in that video for the Chiefs but that Justin Reed there's stuff that's gone out from him before in preseason and these other coordinators know, like, I mean, what would be better than having your starting safety as the kickoff guy, having another guy out there to tackle? So, I mean, the high school world knows it a lot better because your position players are out there. Sometimes you're spraying it around. I've heard some coaches call it like a phone booth, right? Using the numbers to dial in, hey, one through nine of where we want to be. Deep would be deep left to the one. Nine would be all the way up front to the right. So sometimes when you, you don't have a guy kicking touchbacks, having an athlete there to make an extra play, I mean, I'm not telling things people don't already know but it's it's interesting on that front to have a skilled player in that role yeah and he showed that he could kick they were talking about his background being a soccer player and that he he was the kicker in high school and he really looked like he had been doing it for a while I mean I when I saw it on the highlights and I didn't have I was watching a couple games so I was watching the highlights of that happening on the one and had another game on on the other tv so I didn't hear the sound of it but I saw him like why is there a defensive back kicking an extra point and then you know you watch him it's like wow that guy's pretty smooth so obviously a plan there for KC and um, you know maybe he has a future after uh, you know he's unable to to do the run and the cover all the way down the field maybe he's going to kick some and the other side of it and just kind of popped into my mind Keith but 
you know, when I first got up to Iowa State, I worked with a guy, Joe Houston, one of my best friends in the business, and he's with the Patriots now. And, you know, he kicked at USC under Pete Carroll. And the first thing we did in the first meeting I sat in with him is he went over 25 reps of NFL kickers making tackles on kickoff. And the big term that anytime you ask the specialists in the room, it was like, what do you do when you make a tackle? Well, I get my hat across, right? Because all we're trying to do is force that guy to cut back and let the pursuit of the other position players have an angle to that runner. Because if that guy stays fast up the sideline, hey, it's a race and we don't have the angles to go over the top. And conversely, taking that to the returners, these big kick returns that you see, we always talked about that kick returner on a boundary return to win to the sideline. Like, don't get the cutback, and now you're in the pursuit lanes, beat that kicker to the sideline, stay fast up the tick. So kind of interesting how you can bring it to a few different points when we're talking about something like that. Yeah, and I know when you, you bring those up in, in meetings and you show you know when the kicker was able to make a play on your guy who had nothing but green and the kicker in front of him, and he makes the play, that, that kick returner takes a, a lot of heat for it, a, a lot of ribbing at <laughs> least from everybody else in the room. And that's the point with the kicker too. Like we don't need or expect you to make the tackle, right? Set somebody else. But what you can't do is turn it down and shy away. All right. We talked about being on the bottom of the logo at the 25 to 30 yard line. That's where your fit was. You are the same boundary safety as the field 10, right? In a scheme standpoint, like a cover two shell to make sure you still have somebody over those fit players. So in today's world where, even at the high school level, there's a lot of specialists. There's a lot of kickers who are just kickers, right? So those guys who don't get those opportunities. How much did you drill that? How much did you make sure those guys got some work on doing those things outside of the, the regular kickoff reps? Well, what was perfect is that it was already built into the practice script. When you go turn over ball security circuit, offense and defense, those are the things we did with the specialists, right? So the kickers are working, you know, a boundary alley tackle on kickoff, right? The punters were working through different backed up punt footwork. We talked about that last week of striding out their steps or working through a one-step dynamic of just get the ball in the air. And the snappers were working some different pooch touch-ups, right, to secure the ball. Hey, when do I go beyond the returner or when do I got to stay on them and track them for that muffer if he tries to catch it and we're putting guys behind the coverage. So those specialists, that was what we did during turnover ball security. Yeah, I like that idea of making sure those guys are involved. Those are typically team periods where everybody's working on those in those different circuits, and it certainly makes sense to include them in the, in the way that they're going to do it, right? Not all the things that uh, you're going to see there would apply to them, but now to create a few drills for those guys to make sure they're working in there as well just to m- makes them a part of those things that are important, and you, you do it because it's part of your culture, your team, right? So those guys are, are building that in as well. So... Looking at some of the things we have here, we're going to start with the onside kick, and we're going to talk about a couple variations of that today, but we'll start with the surprise onside, and you were able to see a few versions of that here in week two. Yeah, I mean, starting right up front, I mean, you got your five-by-five in in that middle bunt between the the centers there, and a six-man front, or a five-man front, and that guy's offset, and you feel like you can play it a little bit left or right. You talk about what do you do with those specialists and practice keys. Well, every one of them thinks they're a magician with the football. So you get out there and take some reps off their leg with these big kicks. And, hey, who's your gimmick guy? What do you do really well? That way, when you see a hole on the tape on a Sunday or a Monday with the staff, hey, this is what we know these kids can do already. Does it align? And and then can we get it to the right spot in the week to feel confident on a Saturday? So UNLV, 
dropped one down against Cal Berkeley, right? Sparked them. Beautiful rep of the fives, right? The position players charging inside out on those centers in the six-man front to give space for that kicker to recover the ball. Now, the big thing on them is, hey, they got to run through that inside shoulder. And just like we're talking about a rub and a pass concept, hey, we're not blocking them, guys. We're going through that shoulder trying to pursue the ball and give that spot for the kicker, right? Because you can't collision a defender on the kickoff team until that ball goes 10 yards. So, hey, I'm making a play. This is my right to the ball. It just so happens we're getting a little space for the kicker too. Now, I believe there's another example. It was uh, Northern Illinois going against Tulsa. They went four into the boundary, six to the field, and let that kicker put it behind both the fives aligned to the field. And then they kind of looped in the four and so now the field four and the kicker were converging behind that convoy. It was a little off center to the right, kind of a creative way to go through that same middle bunt, just offset a little bit. So in looking at maintaining the legality of that, let's go into a little bit more detail of, you know, again, those guys can't just go and, and take out uh, the guys up front. So you have to be a little creative in how you're doing that. And you called it, uh, I believe you said it was a rub or a pick that, you know, these guys are doing. So coach us through that. Yeah. And a little bit of it too, is just making sure those are guys that you trust to, to be responsible, right? Talk about playing legal on return units or, or surrounding the ball. Like it's the same as boxing out or, or a high screen in basketball, right? Playing with just a little bit of traffic. Now the other side of it, you, you go back to the Northwestern Nebraska rep where they were truly going into that pocket, right? If you're talking tackle guard and center, you max out the space of that widest frontline player and you got your three over two option between the center and the guard outside of the field hash. Well, I think it was um, Southern Utah against Utah, and it was first rep of the game. Well, they did it from the right middle and pulled that ball rather when Nebraska kind of faded it inside and out, and he couldn't get that ball wide enough to his outside kickoff players. Well, Southern Utah pulled it, and it got away from that, that center towards that second-level pocket and they started the game getting the ball back against Utah to give them a spark. So even just a little bit of like, hey, is that kid pulling it across his body? Is he pushing it? Just knowing your tendencies and your scheme so it's not totally out of whack, but it gave them a chance for success. So when you look at situations, when that ball moves up on the field, you get those penalties that move you forward and you don't have as much field there. You certainly can kick it through the end zone, but it's an, also an opportunity to look at maybe getting the ball back and not giving up a ton in field position. So we had a sniper onside kick in one of the games you watched. Yeah, and, and it was something that came up in week one, South Carolina. Again, I got a little bit of a, a heart, heartfelt spot for the special teams world and, and those guys on staff there. But other teams, again, this week, uh, Eastern Kentucky and Ohio for Bowling Green, it came up in the first rep of the game. They plucked that front side center and they got the ball back, and it's a little bit further back than a true onside. But, hey, if that thing misses that guy, you still now have a squib that you can cover, and you're not just automatically surrendering field position. What's nice about the 50 is, man, you can bang that thing into the stands and, and get 25-yard net, and sometimes when you're up, that's awesome. But sometimes you're down and you're underdog. You want to create a little bit more opportunity. Eastern Michigan, it was an interesting, like, spy versus spy rep. They were up against Louisiana Lafayette in the second half, it's only like the end of the third quarter, but they put their hands team out there. And I totally get it because like, hey, this is a high-powered team that they're going to want to go at and get this ball back. They put their hands team out there to make sure there's no funny business 
Because if you hit an onside, you get a chance for the ball. You're only losing 10, 15 yards of field position from the 50. So Louisiana Lafayette went with the snipe, and it went back, and they still snuffed it out, I think, at like the 18 or the 20. So there's some good football going back and forth, and it's not the you know primetime game that everybody's watching, but it's something we can all learn from. The other situation with the onsides is when you have to do it. It's an obvious situation. Everybody in the stadium knows you're doing it. And these are not the high percentage plays, but you want to do every little thing that starts to tick those odds in your favor. So what did you see in that regard? Somebody used to say, before you can win the game, you can't lose it, Keith. And there's some teams losing these low percentage plays before they can even start the rep. It's not always the kickoff guys that are on there. You got offensive guys, people that aren't in those special teams meeting all the time. There's guys that weren't in the white of the 30-yard line, right? So they're too deep. Like, that's an illegal alignment, illegal formation. You can win the rep and the backside guy isn't aligned correctly because he's just flaking off backside. That rep doesn't count, right? You can have these guys charging with the motors hot and they're breaking the line of scrimmage when the ball's being kicked. And those reps are dying to call, you know, offsides in that must-onside situation. It's a lot more stringent on that. So one of the things we've stolen from some other teams is the NFL start right? Only be one yard from their straining line, two yards from the straining line. So you're getting on your giddy up as soon as that ball's kicked. And now you don't have to rep these takeoffs because think of how much you rep your takeoff on kickoff. You're never going to rep that takeoff from the five yards deep on an onside kick. Just take the restraining line, take the air out of it. You're not running 60 yards, work your stacks, work your motion, your twist, whatever it is, but make sure you're aligned to start the play and have a chance. I like that. That's a good tip right there. And Again, setting yourself up for success. The other thing is using the alternative kicks. And I've talked with Kevin Kelly on this podcast before. He's not coaching this year. He was at Presbyterian last year, of course, at Pulaski Academy before that, known as the guy who never punts, the guy who always onside kicks and always goes for for two. Uh, A lot of reasonings behind why he does it, but he was definitely an alternative kick guy and had all these different ways they were kicking the ball for onside. And as as you were pointing to before, right, looking for some specialties that guys can do, uh, he would have those guys. He could do the copter kicks and the different kinds of kicks, and it wasn't always the same guy. So uh, those definitely present something a little bit different. Uh, You try to create situations where – it's difficult to handle the ball. You got it coming in at you hot or you have it coming in with a weird spin. All those things become difficult for that team who's trying to get the ball and fall on the ball and win the game. And just like offense and defense, Keith, like styles make fights, right? Your approach is going to be a little bit different. You have your base schemes, but hey, you're on that must on side. We've got to get the ball back situation. You got to know your opponent. Hey, how are they going to align? Are they going to be soft and spaced out and everyone's going to be trying to receive the ball in the front line? Or, hey, are they going to be really flat and max spacing with you and they're going to change the line of scrimmage and take the widest man outside of them, right? So now if I kick it into the scrum, like there was a team in the SEC that had to kick three must on sides last week. In the last one, they lost the first two and it wasn't so hot and they just said, screw it. And they hit a rocket into the, into the trenches over there and it kicked off the the hands team and they recovered it because it was a mess. Sometimes you just got to let the ball go and it's, it bounces weird and you just have your option of what's next. If I got to use multiple, you know, you saw Notre Dame at the end of that um, Marshall game and they were five by five with, with the ball sideways on the tee. Right. And they're spinning it like that. And it was a great rep 
of the kick, the the Notre Dame player, you just want to play a little bit wider there. So now you and your buddy, you know, the four and the five can vice that ball because they're suckering those guys out for the one, two, and three. They're trying to get that kick in that soft spot where that um, near returner is. So just having a little understanding of where those blocks are going to be rather than where they align. Even just from a hand steam perspective, Keith, you always got to know, is the ball on the tee, right? Is it straight up and down or hey, is it leaning with the butt of the ball on the ground? And these guys are just going to toe bone it and get the big two hopper. Because if it's on the ground, it totally eliminates playing it back into the boundary. So now you can boss those guys front side and be a little bit heavier to that, that play side. So just interesting, even, you know, you see it on a TV copy of just how that ball's positioned for your hand steam. No, I talked about this. I believe I wrote it in an article a few weeks back to understanding the rules there. I mean, you see the teams that kick it into the ground and that thing bounces high, uh, realizing on the other side of the ball on the receiving side, uh, that kick now, you can fair catch that even though it's hit the ground. And I think that's that's definitely at the college level, something to make sure that your players know and something you know, to, to go through and practice with them. As much as anything, everyone's trying to get that two hopper now so it eliminates the fair catch. But if you don't have that ability as the short returner, you can always bat that ball backwards out of bounds. Hey, it's a contested catch, and you're going to wear big contact. Knock that sucker out, but behind you, you know, I think it was the Egg Bowl probably four or five years ago at this point, but they batted the ball forward, and it was a re-kick situation, right? And the ball moves up. So making sure that you bat the ball backwards so you're still gaining possession and there's no redo of the opportunity. Let's move to the punt phase of special teams and take a look at something we talked about a couple weeks ago, the fakes and implementing some fakes. So you did see a fake in a game. Yeah, in week one, your, your Woody punt came up, Keith, of, of having some offensive linemen in there instead of the punt guards and tackles and they snapped it in a three shield to the backside up back and just ran power, right? Kick out with the puller as the middle up back, and, hey, we're off and running. And, and again, they're playing at levels, and, you know, it's week one, and nobody knows what's up or down, and, and you bash forward and get that first down. So that was a, a personnel substitution we talked about a few episodes ago, but even just knowing with your regular punt personnel, there was one uh, three shield fake, you know, backside up back and down, in the pullers, right, down with the front side guard and tackle and having your pullers around the edge. The two shield was a great option, right, creating a little bit more spacing and a max holdup situation. And these ran straight lead up the front side A-gap. So it really is just knowing what you're going up against and whether it's a scheme or, or just your base catalog. It was, you know, not a ton of fakes because with the aggressiveness on fourth and short um, early in the season, you're not totally sure what you're going to get unless it's a pretty static look. But two really three interesting looks that you can have depending on what you want to do. Yeah, I think it's a situation too. We talked about this. You know, sometimes it's just leaving your offense on the field because they're the the guys who normally do this. But, you know, what we're looking for always on offense in some of these short to to mid-yarded situations is a favorable box too. And, you know, depending on how they're going to align against you, if they're not going punt safe, you get a very favorable box and you you have some guys – potentially who have done this kind of work before, right? They might've been, you know, the linebacker for you now, uh, if they've come from a small school, there's, there's a high likelihood that they did some blocking as well. So it's, you know, you're looking for aggressive guys who can execute a few things. It's not like you're putting in an entire offense, but now, uh, as I said, 
at least you're getting some favorable numbers here and potentially, you know, when you're blocking some favorable matchups too, depending on who they have out on the field. As you're talking about that, Keith, one of the things that jumps back in my mind is that defensive safe is not safe for either party, right? I mean, you, you look at Pat Narduzzi at Pitt, when you play against them and you're punting the ball, they're bringing ammo X, they're bringing field pressure, they're, you know, stunt in the front. It's just their defense. So you don't know what you're going to get and you get some second level pressures and, you know, they're coming in hot to the shield unblocked. That's not safe. You can't hold on to the ball and just take it as a free rep. And on the other end, if you just not saying phone it in, but you're in a static known look and right. you get your defense out there, you, you put yourself up there where they could scheme it up. Right. So again, safe isn't safe for anybody. You got to play every rep. I love that. I mean, you, you do know, you know, what's, what's going to be their base. They're probably going to line up in that uh, in a punt safe situation. So now you have, you can scheme that up. That's a great point there. So moving along uh, some block punts as well. Uh, always a lot of excitement in that play. And you saw a few of those this week. Let's talk about those. Yeah. And some carry over here. One of the big reps was the Tennessee pit game. I mean, I'm not sure if we said it before, but Andre Powell does an excellent job, longtime special teams guy at Pitt, and just trimming the fat off that backside edge, right? Again, just like we talked about with the obvious on side of that track and, and knowing where the ball is ideally supposed to be, just like the launch point of an offensive pocket, that blocker is going to move because he's drawn to other activity. The same thing on punt block, he's aligned as a head-up four on that backside tackle. Well, you've got that guy as a two over the guard, that guy's got a boogie and you need to step replace off of that guy. And that's one word, having your outside foot up, you step and replace his alignment with your lead foot. Other people will say chase the hip, right? And everyone's got their drill in, in fall camp, right? Where they pull the barrels, you step replace off of that. One of the great things in that backside B or C gap is really going to be now getting a down block on that player. So he feels that little push in the back and stays true to the launch point. Not the punter's alignment, but knowing it's going to be two yards behind the depth of the shield. Right? They don't know what 10 yards is. They don't know what 12 yards is. How deep is it going to be beyond the shield? So Pitt had a great rep that changed the flow of the game against Tennessee. Old Miss had a beautiful technique. Like everyone wants to talk about, you know, eyes through the diamond, low hands, low eyes, all this take it off the punter's foot. Very rarely is it actually true in a game rep. And it was a perfect rep. I believe it was against Central Arkansas. Um, where they took that backside gap versus the down block, and he stayed tight to the launch point. Now, on the other side, like Adam Shire is at Temple now, and they had three blocks off the back, all off the backside edge with the same rusher. I think two of them went for touchdowns. So it's, you know, when people do it right, there's a reason, whether it's knowing the operation time, knowing it's, you know, your alignment and your you know, stance and your get-off. Again, it's not the, the – some of those blocks that Shire had at Temple, they were max holdups, and he was just chasing off the backside edge that was free, and they got it. Like, let's shoot our shot and see if it happens. If not, we're maxing up the holdup. So you can have your cake and eat it too sometimes. So I don't think we've talked about this before on the podcast or you a believer in, in a one hand, uh, two hands. Uh, depends on the situation. What are you teaching in that regard as, as to taking it off? Great question. Foot? I think there's a time and a place for both. You know, we always talk about front side, foot side block, and we are going to stab, right, that first hand, that inside hair, pressing out the outside foot, reducing that near shoulder, and stabbing that spot with our near hand because you can get farther with one than you can two sometimes. 
there's a reason that they're teaching that backside defensive end on, on defense to run, run, reach with that far hand and match the hand of the quarterback. It's the same thing when your front side goes by and, and do a flyby of the punter. That way you're not crossing his face, right? And now you're, not, you're reducing your chance of a roughing or, or running into the kicker call. Now, backside, man, I'm all about two hands, right? Shoot your hands low and late. Make sure we're even when we start in the drills is really starting one by one off the ball, right? Then we're five by five and then we're building it from the line of scrimmage. So you've got to start on those dots. You've got to start with the arms pumping. You've got to know I'm pressing off my outside foot on that front side stab. Now we're staying clear of the punter playing legal and still knowing how to block the ball the best way for where we're aligned. I think that sh- shooting the hands lit- late is a, a great coaching point. It's kind of equivalent to you know, looking at a receiver that you can shoot your hands late to the ball as well because – as soon as you put your arms out, you're slowing down, right? Naturally, it's going to slow you down. And uh, you know how many how many re- young receivers, you know, especially you go to the lowest levels, those guys who are just running with their arms out, never going to get to the ball. But that certainly is an appropriate coaching point here too. That you, you don't want them getting those hands out too early because it takes them you know, out of getting their stride and getting to the ball. And what's really nice in, in some really well-oiled programs on, on Sunday nights when you're doing your review and, you know, corrections and intro of the next week and, and guys are still kind of getting their air back from Saturday, you take those four guys. I mean, let's be real. Even at a, a marquee Division One program, they're only going to have so many guys they're designing punt blocks for. So take that time on the side. It's a low-output low drill, right? Match the foot, right? See your hand to the ball making sure that you can have those low emphasis, low impact drills and still building the technique as you put the scheme in later in the week. Yeah, let's talk about a few of those drills. Some of the best drills you've seen for, again, being, like you said, able to match the hand and the foot, some of the low impact drills that just get these guys working on the timing of of taking that ball off a foot. You see a million different ways to do it. And, you know, one of the things you you certainly get ripped for early in your career is having the specialist be the one because not one of those kids wants to put their foot out and it turns into a waste of a drill and they don't want, and God forbid you get somebody hurt. Like you got your other, your coaches that are out there that, Hey, you use a ball and a stick, you use a um, soccer ball, a volleyball, right. Um, literally just putting your you know hands. And I've seen people put like shaving cream on that foot, make sure you're literally getting a little bit of that junk on your hand, right? That way it's literally like aim small, miss small. You talk about that Sunday evening opportunity, like it's it's great stuff for field goal block circuits as well, right? Your D tackles are getting two over one on the guards. Your safeties are, are piercing that tight end so that now you guys can play on that jumper roll between the tight end and wing. Corners are working that skinner, right? Five steps and depart onto the crash pad, making sure that you're getting negative on that on that dive. We're working scoop and score on the backside on the, of the of the block. So then it's not a mistake, right? It's not by accident that some teams block more kicks than others. Moving things along, let's take a look at the return portion, this explosive returns on punt. Uh, Again, some coaching points that you've put together for this week. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that comes up is returner play, right? We talked about making great decisions back there of where are they aligned in the pooch world. Saw a great clip. We can talk about it a little bit later, but the New York Giants special teams coordinator going in of where do you put those guys? Heels on the 10? Do you give them some allowance? And he really talked about how it's it's dictated off of how good their pooch punter is. You know, you see some of these Aussie guys that coming in, you know, the Oklahoma State guys, 32 years old, 
<laughs> Michael Dixon's out here and he was a you know all pro punter when he was at Texas. So how deep do we want to align those guys so we're not just giving up the ball inside the five and now we're already coming out of a backed up situation. The other thing we talked about is clearing the dead weight. I'm coming up for a fair catch or, or that poison or Peter call of pointing guys out of the way for a bouncing ball. Well, the big thing, you can be saying poison, poison, poison with static hands right below your shoulders and you're pointing and you get a Sunday hop, a one hop or a sweet, sweet ball. Okay, you're back in you know Little League and you're playing shortstop and that thing kicks right over to you and you can rip it. Well, take it and go. You know, you saw a great return on that. I believe it was Auburn versus San Jose State. That guy got 15, 20 yards just for playing it with no blocker. And the other thing, you see a lot more, you know, vertical returns, just guys getting a little bit more comfortable in their base scheme and their fundamentals of bad kick direction. Man, you're trying to boundary punt that ball and it's getting over towards the hash in the middle of the field and you're running a vertical return and guys are trying to play for their width. Man, that thing really opens up from the tight shot here. And, you know, you can see why guys can get a quick first down hitting the north-south. To bring it back to the technique, Keith, like there was a beautiful rep of, of Penn State doing a great job holding those guys up at the line of scrimmage, right? Staying on top, right? Win at the line of scrimmage. Every second is 10 yards. Everyone's got that old coaching point. But the other thing is like, it's a trench war fight in there. Nobody's calling holding unless you're literally dragging that guy's shirt from behind as he rips outside of you. So if you're square, they're giving a lot of leeway in there. Uh, I've heard guys call it lobster. Like you got claws, like you are literally pinched on the outside of their shoulder pads. And now I can be and move with my feet and have some a little bit of uh, extra options to stay top at the line of scrimmage. You know, the other thing is the slingshot, right? Guys reversing back to leverage if they get out flanked, and now they can still ride that hip down the line. You know, transition, see a lot of guys locked in, right? That hand clenched up on the back of that shoulder plate right there. Literally, they're grabbing the – just like a receiver would be engaged on the shoulder plate of a corner, right? If you got that elbow locked in, you know, Houston had some big-time returns, two real explosives against Texas Tech, and you can see that hand pulled in. So now they can pry that shoulder open and really get even and pin the shoulder on that guy late. So they're just kind of, you know, piloting along there and staying in position until they make that block for the least amount of time. So it's interesting to see, again, some programs that have had a lot of success in those return phases. Everyone's seen, you know, Penn State having Saquon back there, but new coordinator, obviously, but Joe Lord did a great job there and they're still doing a good job from that rep that I saw. And, you know, Houston had a returner drafted by the Patriots and Mark Scott's done a great job at West Virginia and now Houston for a long time. Well, flipping this around, we've talked quite a bit about the returner and and clearing the trash and getting guys out of the way. And even, as you said, getting that bounce and taking the opportunity, but that works the other way too, from the gunners, that there's some things gunners can think about here to create some of those big plays for themselves. Absolutely, especially when you get, you see that, that punt returner attacking and running forward with his eyes up in the air. It's a really vulnerable situation for the punt return team. Man, if you can literally long stride and steer that guy into the returner, making sure if you can create that contact in a boom-boom play and his own man is contacting the returner, that's totally cool and we can create a fumble. You know, that happened in the Arkansas State-Ohio State game. Um, it didn't fully materialize, but – that's something that's been known to come up plenty. And, you know, that is a really huge change in momentum. And again, can't advance that ball. Just make sure we can corral it and get on it and really flip the field for the, the punt team. To tie things up today and bring it back to the beginning, we started talking about just never know when it's going to be your time and being prepared for opportunities. Maybe some things that you typically don't do, but sometimes 
just out there, expect to be doing your job, but then an opportunity comes and you have a great clip of this in the Rams, the Super Bowl, uh, their Super Bowl run and, and something with Cooper Cup. Yeah, and it's an awesome lead-in with Sean McVay and, and the receivers coach, Eric Yarber, talking about a love of the game route. They're running, you know, a deep home run post from the field slot, and they got a deep in route behind it. And, you know, they're breaking down the play uh, and saying that really Cooper Cup as the slot is only really an answer in two-man or in zero, right? And he hits that thing and recognizes the coverage and hits it full tilt, and Stafford trusts his guy that he's eating breakfast with every day and puts it up there, and that's the play that sparks them getting into the Super Bowl. So, really, they call it a love of the game route because 90 to 80% of the time, like, you're not getting the rock. It's going to the backside curl or playing underneath you as you take the top off the coverage. So, that's your chance. It happened in the biggest moment, and you, you never know. You know, nothing matters till it matters, whether it's the, the safety kicking off or, you know, the tight end snapping a ball or, or you getting your shot versus a certain coverage. Steve, thanks again for all the preparation. You did this week a lot of great notes, coaching points, etc. And uh, I look forward just to continuing on with this in the season. And I'll uh, remember next week is week three. We'll be covering week three. Seems like more than that. A lot of ball ahead of us still. But uh, appreciate you taking the time on the show. No problem. This, this is refreshing, Keith. It, it's good to stay sharp.